been a great weekend. Uh, there's just something about the fall. I just love it, mainly because I don't sweat as much. It gets cooler. Um, it's, it's a time that you get to... Stuff just starts slowing down. Um, Peyton played on two ball teams this summer. Tate played ball. Tried to fit in the lake. Tried to go swimming. Tried to fit in fun things. Before you know it, every night of your week is spent and gone, and, and you've got 12 hours of sunlight to do it, and that's just not enough. And we've got farm stuff going on. You're having calves and cutting hay and brush hogging and spraying and, and trying to do all these things. But when fall comes around, things start to slow down a little bit. Um, it gets dark earlier. My great-grandpa always told me, he's like, there's a reason it gets dark earlier because you're supposed to quit early rest up in the winter time so that you can harvest in the summer. He's like, there's a reason that we didn't have lights back then, because when the sun went down, you quit working. That way you could get rested up and go for a full day the next day. I believe there's a lot of wisdom to what he said. Um, we don't find any rest anymore, and so we stay tired all the time. That's why energy drinks at $5 a can are one of your top beverage sellers in the nation currently. And it's a sad thing that we've got to pull energy from sugar and caffeine and all these things that we can't just do our body justice, the thing that God created, and give it rest when it needs rest because we can't, we don't feel like we can slow down. We feel like the world's spinning so fast that we can't slow down. If you slow down, then you're just going to get farther and farther and farther behind. Um, it's the nature of the beast, it's a battle we deal with. Um, in our family, trying to slow down to actually have a family. You know, last week at the table, it's important, but a lot of times we just don't take time for it. Um, our relationship with Christ is the same way. It's the most important thing that you can have, but there's a lot of times that we just don't take time for it um, because everything else is going so fast. Um, that song, though, it just... And in my lowest valleys, yes, I will. I'll be, I'll be looking for the Lord. And it couldn't match up with my sermon better than this morning. The same thing we talked about in Sunday school. If you want to see God's hand in a church service to get the full effect, you've got to come to Sunday school. Because a lot of times what you talk about in Sunday school lines up with the songs that are sung in praise time that lines up with the sermon that God gave me earlier in the week. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing because... We don't coordinate this stuff. God does. And so if you want to see God work, you've got to start getting the whole picture. And it's an amazing picture that he paints. Um, I, I enjoy just getting to be a part of what he's doing. And if you don't feel God moving, just become friends with a, with a person that you see God moving in and, and become a part of what God is doing. If you see a church that is flourishing because God's spirit is high, I encourage you to visit it. I, if you see a person that is spending all their time praying and, and singing praises to God and you can really see genuinely true fruit being bared because their presence of God is so strong, become friends with them, strike up a relationship with them, get involved with what God is doing. Because God does amazing, amazing, amazing things. And God is so good to us even when we were so bad to Him and are still are bad to Him. He continues to keep doing amazing things in our lives. The fact that you were able to come today, it is an amazing fact. Your presence here this morning was not by mistake. You have a purpose to be here today. That's what's so cool because everybody here has a purpose and it's not a purpose for me. It's a purpose for God. And that's what I get excited about. That's what I get excited about. Before I get started today, would you please bow with me in a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful, Lord, for the opportunity. And yes, it is truly an opportunity, Lord, to come to your house Lord, this building is a blessing in itself and the fact that you allow us to come in it freely because we live in a nation that allows us to gather freely, Lord, is another blessing. The fact that we have a place to go is a blessing in itself and the, and the fact that we have heat and people here that love us, God, and that the lights are still on, Lord, we know that it's all attributed to you. 
God, and we are so thankful, Lord, and I'm excited about you today, God. I pray that every day I get to be this excited about you, Lord, that you would instill words and, and promises inside of me, Lord, that I can live on day to day, that I can continually seek and desire your face. Lord, the closer I draw to you and the farther I draw away from this world, Lord, the better life gets. God, and I am thankful for that opportunity, Lord, that you tore the veil that I might have a personal relationship with you. God, today is going to be a great day because you created it, Lord, and you purposed me in it. Lord, I wasn't born a hundred years ago because, God, you wanted me here now. Lord, these people were not born a hundred years ago because they needed to be there. Lord, they needed to be here this morning, God. And it's because of your purpose and your design that we're here, and I'm thankful. God, I pray that you would open ears and open hearts and open minds today, God, that we might leave here changed, a different person than we came in. God, a, a closer walk with you is what we're here desiring. God, help us get there because we can't do it alone. God, we are thankful for your son that sacrificed everything for us. God, and paved the way that we might have everlasting life. Lord, be with us today. Help us grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you fix merry-go-round? Okay, I sent it wrong, because apparently I don't know how to spell the right Mary. Um, I did spell it M-A. <laughs> now, I put two R's, but anyway, I, I spelled it wrong. Uh, I, I'm not a highly scholared person, but I love the Lord with all my heart. That's all he asked me is that I don't have to be greatly educated, but he asked me to love him with all his heart. Um, we're going to start out in second Corinthians this morning. That's going to be our main course of scripture, but I am going to deviate a little bit as much as I always do. Um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. It says, For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we, not, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, that song said, yes, I will. And then it gave a lot of different scenarios at the chances we have to turn to God and look to God, whether it be for advice or just to give him honor, praise and glory for everything that he does in our life. Every situation is an opportunity. And that's what I want to talk about today. Every situation that we come across is an opportunity to glorify God. The decisions have to be made to do so. That's where we come in. And so when I was thinking about this and when, and when I read about this scripture, I got to thinking about the earth and the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. And I thought, you know, the fact that in Job, he says the earth is hung on nothing. In Job 26, 7, it says, that the earth hangs on nothing. So I've done a little research about the earth. The earth's proximate weight is 5,972 sextillion tons. That is 5,972 with 18 zeros after it. Tons. A ton is 2,000 pounds. So you multiply 5,972 sextillion by 2,000. That's how many pounds it is. I'm not even going to go there. My calculator wouldn't even do this. I had to Google it. I'm not even lying. So that's a lot of weight to be hung on nothing, right? I mean, it's hung on nothing. It's just sitting there. The earth is not held by anything besides that's the way that God created it. So, so there's a lot of faith in the things that are unseen that our earth is going to continue to do what it does and just hang there. And so I was thinking about that and then I thought, you know, I think the earth spins pretty fast. I mean, 
gravity is a bigger factor for me than my wife. It pulls on me harder. It's scientific. Because I weigh more. I have more mass. It pulls on me harder. But you can't see that fact. The fact is that the earth spins at 1,000 miles per hour, approximately. So it's set there rotating at 1,000 miles an hour, yet I stand here unaffected because of a force that I can't see. Not only does the earth rotate at 1,000 miles per hour, it travels in orbit at 67,000 miles per hour. Again, unaffected as I stand here by a force that I can't see or greatly affected by a force that I can't see. If we go through life and I got to thinking, and the reason I come up with merry-go-round is the title because then I got to thinking, we took our kids to the park this summer and we all got on the merry-go-round and I was, you know, spinning it with my foot just riding along and holy cow, it's been a while since I've been on a merry-go-round. I'm like... And we wasn't going very fast at all. I can remember as a kid, who remembers as a kid, you, you load it up with 30 people, as big as you can get it, and you get the biggest kid, or maybe a kid that was older, man, and they start ripping on those handles just as fast as you can go. And then that person's got to move back because once you pick up another, enough speed, kids start shooting off of it. <laughs> right? Who remembers that? That was the funnest thing when you were a kid. Or that red gate that used to be up at this grade school. That was thing was just a death trap. It was a, a gate like this big and like this tall on a pole. And it swung like that. I mean, there's no way the government would say that's okay now. That, that, I mean, that's just crazy. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the average merry-go-round spins at just under nine miles an hour. So you think at top speed, a merry-go-round is, is spinning at 13 miles an hour and how much force is pulling on it that you can't even hold on. And these little 40 and 50 pound kids, they just right off there. So you can't even imagine the amount of force that it takes to hold if it was spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Ephesians 4 tells us that it's not the earthly battles that we face, but the spiritual battles which are unseen. You can't imagine the amount of force that it's taking to hold us together because of the things that we can't see. I believe with all my heart that God battles every day on my behalf against forces and evil spirits that I cannot see. You know, there's an old story that goes with this guy had this, this terrible day. He was running late and his car broke down and he missed a luncheon with an important client and all this and that. And he gets to the end of his day and he's like, God, that was just, that was a terrible, terrible day. Like, why? Why did that happen? Like, what is going on? He said, well, you were late because there was, there was a car wreck on the interstate that you would have been involved in if, if I hadn't made you lose your keys. You know, and then your, your, your car broke down, but there was, I don't know, a thief that would have pickpocketed you on your way into to work if I hadn't have stopped you from getting there at that time. And this client, the, the lunch that you missed out on, he was going to spew hate and, and trick you into being a person that you're not and make a deal that would have been catastrophic for your family. So when we talk about the forces that are unseen, they're both good and evil. But God, the way He creates things, is a lot greater in the unseen than in the seen. That's why we have faith. That's why we have faith. And I'm going to read to you the scripture again in verse 17, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. It says, For our light afflictions, afflictions, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look at, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
Where's your focus at? When it's said in the song, yes, I will lift your name when I'm in a deep valley. Yes, I will sing you praise. Where's your focus point at? You know, in times of of great struggle and and great pain, people's always advice and and even, you know, on a boat when when the waves are slapping heavy, people's advice is to always pick a focal point. Always pick a focal point. It'll help. And anything that you're doing, you're facing an extreme amount of pain. Pick a spot and focus on that spot and don't think about anything else except for focusing on that spot. You know, they used to tell sailors, pick a spot, pick a cloud, pick a piece of land, pick a something and focus on that so whatever is going on around you is not as bad as it seems. That's pretty good advice, right? So we as Christians can follow that same advice. We have to pick a focal point. We have to pick a focal point. Where is your focal point? Are you allowing, as we sat at the table yesterday, and I was surrounded by all these things, was my focal point on Jesus, or was I pulling up chairs and focusing on other things? That's the problems that we face, is that the devil wants to be distracting, and he wants to be deceitful, and he wants this world to spin so fast that you won't realize that you haven't been with your family all together at once Yet this week, just a lot of things happen. Yeah, there's a lot of distractions. And don't misinterpret what I'm saying. There's a lot of good things. I coached and helped coach both of my daughter's softball teams and I helped coach my son's baseball team. That was good. And we spent nights at the ball field. And that's good things. But I can assure you that Christ better be the center of all those things. You better be taking time to sit down and thank Him and give Him praise while good things are happening because good things are happening because of what He's doing. And the battles that He's facing in your times of triumph for the things that you can't even see. Because the devil will always, always, always be trying to give you something to break you down. Well, I had a long week. Man, I just don't feel like getting up and going to church on Sunday morning. That week could have been full of good things, ball games, time spent with family, friends, doing things that you've never even thought you'd going on a vacation and doing these things. These are good things. But a lot of times when we focus on good things, we miss out on great things. We miss out on great things things that can be happening and the the great things that can happen are of the kingdom of God. I wrote down a little side note. It says, stop focusing on what you're going through and focus on where you're going to. That hit home with me this week. Man, God pile drive that into my mind this week because my world gets to spin in pretty fast but it's a lot of good things but these good things that are happening here on earth do not give me life they do not give me life everlasting the only thing that gives me life everlasting is the sacrifice that christ made for me he paved the way not my kids ball games not my kids not my mom and dad christ died on a cross and sacrificed his life that I could have a way, that you could have a way, that we could have a way, that everybody might have a chance to seek eternal life. Everybody will have an opportunity. Everybody will have an opportunity. But are we grasping at the things that give us life? Are we grasping at temporal things to get that next high? Good things create endorphins in your body that that make your body feel good. And and I'm not saying those things are bad. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Those things are good things, but they're not great things if they're not centered around what Christ has for you. If they're not kingdom things. I'm going to give you the best example that I can think of about things that are good, but things that don't bring life. In Genesis chapter 3, In Genesis chapter 3, 
This is one of the worst things that could ever happen. And I'll show you what they grasp at. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6, and it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this is Eve we're talking about, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So let's back up. Let's break this down a little bit. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Okay, that's a good thing, right? Apple tree, nice blush apples. Good to eat. That's a good thing. And then it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise. Wisdom is good. We talk about being wise. Wisdom is good. She took of the fruit and ate and gave also to her husband and he did eat. She was even sharing. These are all good things. But they weren't kingdom things. They were lustful desires of her own heart to eat of a tree that God had told them not to eat of. See, the act was good. But she wasn't seeking out kingdom things. These were not things of the kingdom. In fact, she was even warned that these were things that opposed the kingdom. How many times do we seek out things that oppose the kingdom of God? Amen. I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy every day because I fall short. In verse 7, it says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They took fig leaves. They took leaves, plucked them from the vine, and sewed them together. Does anybody realize what I just said? They took leaves to cover themselves that were plucked from the life to cover their sin. Knowing full well that the thing that gives those leaves their life is being attached to the vine. Those leaves, since they got plucked from their life source, are going to die and are temporal. They sewed them together. But who knows what a leaf gets like when it dies? It's brittle. It just crumbles up. It's going to be good for nothing. So they covered their self, but they covered their sin, their shame, for only a moment because they plucked the leaves from their life source and now the leaves are going to die. Nobody else may think that was cool. I thought it was pretty cool. That's, I mean, what a thing that God showed me that we have that same effect We can ask friends to cover for us in our own sin, in our own lives. But what we're actually doing is asking our brother and sister in Christ to be unplugged from their life source to live in our sin. How many people's guilty of that? Amen. Ever we sin, we look for people to help us cover it up and sweep it under the rug. Now sin has an everlasting effect not only on our our life, but our friend's life we're asking help from, that we're asking them to unplug from their life source to come help us in our sin. Or our family members. Verse 7, it says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, And made themselves aprons. We have to remember that when we plug temporary things into a place where eternal things are supposed to be, it's not going to work. They didn't even know they were naked until they sinned and ate of the fruit. And now all of a sudden, the nakedness that they were not even aware of before has become a problem And what is their first attempt to do is to kill other things to help cover up their sin and their shamefulness. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And God and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
God's coming through the garden. He's saying, Adam. Adam, where are you? I'm looking for you. Adam and Eve in their sin hid from God. One thing makes another thing worse, right? They sinned. They took of the fruit and they sinned. And now they're hiding from the presence of God. Did anybody ever make a mistake and they felt so bad that they didn't even want to pray? I've been there. Anybody else been there? That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants to cry and drive any kind of wedge that he can in your relationship with God. And that's exactly what he did when Eve ate of the apple and gave to her husband. He created a wedge between human and God. And because they were so ashamed of their nakedness and of their sin, even though they tried to cover it temporarily from each other, how bad are we at that? We know that God knows, but heaven forbid that my neighbor finds out. Oh my goodness, what are they going to think of me? So instead of confronting the sin in our lives, we want to take and cover it up so nobody sees it. Well, sin compounds whenever you put it in the bank. And it grows and it manifests. So their sin of eating of the apple made them not only kill fig leaves and strip other things from their life source, now they're hiding from God. The very thing that gave them life. The snowball effect of sin is huge. That's why sin has to be confronted and not covered up. Because covered up only gives it a chance to grow and manifest when confronted. Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is Adam talking to God. Once he finally got found out, he's telling God why he hid. Verse 10, I'm going to read it again. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid thyself. Verse 11, and he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? God knew at that moment that they had sinned. God knew that they were going to sin. And God knew and was just hoping that they would make better decisions and they didn't. So one sin created death and one sin created more death. And now all of a sudden we're hiding in the bushes trying to hide from the very person that gave us life to start with. Adam said that he was afraid. That he was afraid. He knew that he had messed up and he was afraid. And if we skip over, same chapter in Genesis verse 3, and we skip over to 21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. They messed up. They messed up bad. They ate of the the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of. And in doing so, they lost the relationship with God. And then it just got worse. Then they took life from other living things to try to cover their sin. And then they hid from the one thing that actually can give them life. Basically, you may look at this and you say God punished them from kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. And He's a righteous judge. We have to remember that He is fully righteous. But what He do before they went out, He said unto him and his wife, Did the Lord God make coats of skin? And He clothed them. He still loved them. He hated what had happened. 
He hated the fact that they did not listen to Him. And that's the same with the sin in our life. God hates the fact when we don't listen to Him and when we don't obey His commands and we don't take His advice when we're sitting there on our knees praying for Him that we take our sin and we cover it with a blanket instead of taking it to God who can shine light on it and get rid of it forever. One sin makes another sin worse. And covering up with a blanket does nothing besides allow it darkness to hide in. Because God's righteousness is light. And whenever we shed light on something, the problem will get fixed. So where are we heading in our times of darkness? Are we allowing God's light to shine in our valleys? Are we creating a tent to cover up our sin because we're ashamed of it because of our neighbors. Adam wouldn't have been ashamed if he didn't have a person standing right beside him. His nakedness would have been nothing because nobody else would have seen him. But he was worried and Eve was worried about the other person seeing them. Isn't that where we get in life? We get so worried about the other person seeing our sin. Church body, isn't this a real situation? Who's ever walked in church afraid of judgment and condemnation from a congregation, from a brother or sisterhood that they love? Am I the only one? Everybody's been there, right? That is in depth in church and belongs. They feel because of the way their marriage is going or a problem that they might have that everybody's looking at them and telling them how bad they are, but nobody wants to step up and help them fix it. This place was founded on a person that came to fix it. That's the reason we have this building is because a person came to fix me in my brokenness. And when I said I do, and I'm married into this family and accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, my Savior, I said, God, I'm in it for you. You tell me what you want me to do because I'm no longer an authority of my life, but you are. God does not put a blanket over sin. God fixes it. He made a coat because he knew leaves were temporal. Our fixes, our blankets are temporal for our sin. If you want it to go away, you've got to give it to God. Anything we do outside of the kingdom of God is temporal. It's not lasting. It's temporal. God says it's nothing but a vapor. That's what your life is. It's a vapor. So unless you're doing kingdom work... Your life becomes meaningless because the things that you build here on this earth will be tried by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I got to thinking about that. You know, we accept Christ as our Savior and we're saved because there is nothing that we can do to get into heaven on our own. Thank God for His Son. Amen. And that's a real statement because I couldn't do it on my own. There's nothing that I can do. But when I talk about works and when I talk about my works being tried by fire, guess what? That means my kids. My kids are going to be tried by fire and they're part of my works. That's tough for me, man. My mom always told me in raising kids, the best thing that you can do is teach them right for wrong and hope they make the right decisions. That's scary for me. I hope that my kids choose Christ, but I can't make that decision for them. They have to make it, but I can dang sure make sure they know who he is. I can teach them all about him. When the fire comes, when that last day comes... 
Are your works going to stand that are tried by my fire? That's what Jesus said. So when I talk to my family, when I talk to my kids, when I talk to my parents, when I talk to my uncles, when I talk to my cousins, am I talking about kingdom things or am I talking about the weather that ain't going to make a difference on that day? Where is my focal point in times of trials? When my kids look at me and say, Dad's going through a hard time, but I know he's looking at God because that's where he always looks. That is a thing that is going to stand when the fire comes. My example, the way I'm living my life, he said it'll breed fruit. He said you'll breed fruit. But everything that we do is going to be tried. When we're focusing on things these earth and we can clothe our kids in nice clothes and and we can live in nice houses and we can have nice jobs and and drive nice cars that's all great but it's not kingdom stuff it's not kingdom stuff god ain't gonna care what i'm driving when his son comes back to get me he ain't gonna care what shirt i've got on So I ask you today, what are you clothing yourself with? God provides clothing for us. He provided clothing for Adam and Eve when they were headed out of the garden because they had messed up. He still loved them. He still loved them. He created them just like he created you. He still loves you when you mess up, but you have to be desiring and seeking the kingdom of God. We've got to be talking about the kingdom of God. I want my kids to know what the kingdom of God is because my works are going to be tried by fire and not just my works, but your works. What are your works doing? Are you teaching your kids to go after a job with all their heart because they deserve it and they've worked hard to get it? Or are you telling them to believe in a God that will provide the strength and as long as you put everything in Him, everything else will be okay? What are we teaching everybody in our community as our church stands and we talk about God and we raise our hands in praise here in this building and when we leave it, they hear us cussing and they leave it, they hear us lying and we're stabbing people in the back. Your works are not going to be tried just in this building. We all talk to people. We're all ministers of the Word of God. When you accepted Christ, you accepted that responsibility. I didn't know that. It was in the fine print. No, it's pretty blatant. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you accepted The job of being minister of his word. It's not just me up here. It's not just Roger at Clear Springs or the teachers in Sunday school or the people that teach other people about God. It's everybody that has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior to tell other people Christ about Christ. That they can be their Lord and Savior. Your works that are tried by fire. I thought about this. This came on me. And this actually made me cry. What I got lost in when I was reading this. And when I was thinking about all of my works. Being tried by fire. I thought about this room. And when we talk about doing kingdom work. We're talking about providing the information that we have about Jesus Christ as Savior to other people, whether it's through example or whether it's through your mouth. How big of a room and how many people are going to be in it when my works are tried by fire? Jesus Christ saves, but if my works... My spreading of the gospel, as he calls it, to taking to every parts of this world. Am I going to be sitting on this front pew by myself because I never said anything to anybody? And all my temporal stuff, my big house, my nice cars all got burnt and I'm now in a room alone? That weighed heavy on me, man. 
It says, yeah, that you're still going to go to heaven. You'll still, be, you'll still be saved and that'll be great. But if you are sitting in a room by yourself and then this window comes up in a wall and you see the wiping of the way of the people that you could have talked to but chose not to and you see them wiped away by fire, temporal. Did you talk to him about God or did you talk to him about the weather? When given the chance, I know that everybody has lived an experience of where God has told them to go talk to somebody. Raise the hands who's been there. God has told you and you have felt it, heard it, experienced it, that, that God wanted you to go talk to somebody. How many people passed on that opportunity or have? I have. I'm guilty. Luckily enough, I know that one of the times that I missed an opportunity, that lady had Christ in her heart, but I don't know what God needed me to go say or listen to. It may have been something so beneficial for my life that I missed out on the biggest blessing ever. I don't know because God called me and I didn't go. And I missed out. And she missed out. If you think that you have no responsibility besides to show up and sit in a pew on Sunday, I can assure you that you're wrong. You're missing out on some of God's biggest blessings. And I'm not talking about things of this world. I'm talking about things above and beyond this world. One of the questions that was asked in Sunday school this morning are what are some of the things that have taken your breath away? What are some experiences in your life that have taken your breath away? And most of the things that had absolutely taken our breath away were bad things, illnesses and, and shocking news of terrible things that have happened and, and stuff like that. But we have tons and tons and tons of things that when we really look for it, that should awe and inspire us every day as a church. One day when Tony was losing her vision, we gathered and we circled and held hands together and we prayed to God for a healing. And by W Highway headed to Mountain Home, she was regaining her sight. Amen? Who just got goosebumps? That's a miracle, people. That's God's handiwork of a body of believers coming together, fully believing and having faith in a God of healing that He can still do it today just like He did in this book. Amen? Those are the things that should take our breath away. Oh my God. You healed her. Instantaneously. We circled in prayer at Pontiac one night because they found one of our, as our pastor's wife, found his, her nephew unconscious laying in the fort, 21 years old, and they had no clue and he was in a coma. We circled and we prayed together in that little church in Pontiac. And by the time we broke in prayer, we walked out in the hallway. She had got a phone call that he was fully responsive. And they don't know why. Amen. Everybody sitting in this room knows why, and we should get excited about it. We talked about getting excited about God and, and how the older looks to the younger about getting excited. And how the younger looks to the older about wisdom and how we all work together to be a body of Christ. Every part have a functioning part and a responsibility. Where's your focus point at? Where's your focus point at today? Are you focused on doing whatever you need to be doing to, to make this earthly life a little better? Or are you focusing on the eternal things that are going to have a lasting effect? I love, love, love. I, I got to take my son deer hunting for the first time yesterday. He wasn't old enough. I told him he wasn't old enough to pull the trigger. He's like, that's all right. I still want to go. And being able to spend that time with him and to be with him, now I'm not going to lie, we were watching YouTube videos about 45 minutes to an hour in, but that's pretty good for the first time out. He decided after we seen nine and I wasn't pulling the trigger, he told me, he said, Dad, if you're not going to shoot, this is boring. <laughs> How often do we look at our Christian lives as if they're boring and dull? Hey, man, you just haven't pulled the trigger yet. You haven't shot yet. You haven't made it exciting yet. You haven't chosen to say yes to the work that God has for you and the adventures that lie ahead. You're still sitting there saying, God, this is boring. I'm not doing anything. 
come to church on Wednesday and I, I sit through the same person that talks to me on Sunday and I get to hear him again and then, then Sunday night I come and I sit and I listen and, and yeah, it's great stories and I love the fellowship, but outside of that, I, just don't, I don't see a change. I don't see what I'm doing making a difference. It's because you're not doing anything. You're not pulling the trigger. You're watching life walk by, not doing anything. No, that's not very exciting. Tate wanted the action. I can't blame him. But just like in deer hunting, after you take action, then there's a little work involved. Because you've got to clean up what God has blessed you with. But it's all worth it when you sit down at the table like we did the other night and we had a little fried deer meat. Amen? It comes full circle. And so whatever you're doing and wherever your focus point is at is what you can teach and reveal to people along the way. Kenny, man, he, he just blows my mind sometimes and in a good way. And, uh, man, he changed his perspective about going to work. And he changed his perspective was, what was it, Kenny, from going to work and how did you word it? From going to work and it being a job and looking for God, you went to... That's right. Man, it's a side job. It's a side job. Why? Because it doesn't have everlasting value. Kenny's a great carpenter, but he can never build me a mansion in heaven. He can't do it. He can't build himself a mansion in heaven, but he can tell people who can. Kenny's swinging a hammer for Christ. I guarantee everybody out there knows that he's a Christian, and that's how we should all be. We should be living the life of a Christian. And if you think it's dull and it's boring, try stepping behind the scope and pulling the trigger. Get excited. It gets exciting moments that take your breath away. Answering a phone call. Saying yes to going to Nicaragua at 10.15 at night. That's exciting. There's nothing dull about that. Hearing about healing on the way to Mountain Home. Hearing about a person being awakened from a coma. There's nothing dull about that. God is not dull. You're just standing behind a gun and haven't pulled the trigger yet because you have all the power and adventure that you're ever going to want when you start saying yes to God and you start doing His work. We're going to open up the altars. I would implore you to look through your daily life and ask yourself, if you would please stand with me, ask yourself, Where's my focal point at? Do I go to work and that's what a job and it sucks and I hate it and that's what I focus on all day? Maybe you, maybe you have a job that you love. I, I like my job right now. I said right now because that's, I mean, it can all change. But I can assure you my prayer before I took this job was God help me learn this job easy so that I can stay focused on you. Man, that's a side bit to what my true calling is. Any job that you have is a side bit to the true calling that you have in Christ, and that's to share the gospel, the good news. We can take Christ to people. That's why come in spring 2020, this church, man, I, I changes are coming. It's going to be great, and there's energy, and there's excitement, and these walls of this building are no longer going to confine us, and we're going to show a community what we stand for. Love, compassion, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And stop telling them all the things that they're doing wrong because guess what? They probably already know. When you make a mistake, do you need to somebody to tell you that you made a mistake? Or do you need somebody to come along beside you and say, brother, you made a mistake, but man, here I am. I'm here to help pick you up. We're going to seek God through all of this and we're going to keep moving because we have kingdom work to do. 
I get excited. I am so excited about the direction that God not only has my family, my immediate family, but my blood family. And that's everybody that believes in Christ. We're headed in a direction. There is excitement in this town. And if you haven't seen it, it's because you're standing behind a gun that's loaded, ready for you to pull the trigger. And you haven't said yes to God. You're still standing on the sidelines and you haven't got any play in time yet. It's time to you say, coach, I'm ready to play. Put me in. I want in on some of the actions and I want in on some of the blessings. My first experience in college football, the first snap that I ever took, my sweet mate had the quarterback wrapped up by the ankles and I got to hit him as hard as I could because he was a set duck, man. And that was one of the best feelings of my life. And it's going to be that sweet, savory taste when you say yes to God. Yes, I want to go. Yes, I want to do. Yes, I want to produce fruit. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. I want in the action. Let's go. Amen. If that doesn't get you excited, we need to re-examine of where you're coming from and what your focal point is. And we're here to do that too. We're not leaving you in the dust on purpose. We're here to drag you until you can stand up on your own. We are. That's what we're here for. We want to help you get there too. Man, I get excited about that. Because sometimes all a person needs to get going is a little hot shot. That'll get you going. Sometimes we need it. Sometimes we get stuck in that rut. Brother Bruce told me one time, he said, you know what a rut is? I said, wow. What is your definition of a rut? Because, Brother Bruce, there's just not a whole lot of telling. And he said, rut's a grave with both ends kicked out. Rut's a grave with both ends kicked out. You're stuck there and you're dying until you get out of it. Where's your focal point at today? We're going to open up the altars now. If you need a change in focal point, if you need to drop some weight so that you can stand, if you need help pulling that trigger... If you need help getting in the game, we are here to help. This body of Christ is non-judgmental. Walking to the front is a glory factor. You're giving glory to God saying, God, I'm not doing this for me. God, I'm doing it so that you can help me. I want to be more than what I can be on my own. God, I want you to come into my heart. God, and I want you to make me more than I could ever be. The worst thing that we can do is when God is calling us to the front is to stand in the pew white knuckled because you don't want to let go on what you know and step into a realm of unknown. God's realm of unknown is better than anything you can ever know or currently know. That's why he's calling you to it, because it's greatness. You've settled for good and he's calling you to great and he wants you to stand in the greatness of his glory. That's what he wants today. He wants you to stand in the greatness of His glory and do things unimaginable. I can't heal people. Tony, I couldn't have given your vision back to you if I'd have wanted to, but I know a man that can and that's who we prayed to and that's who gave it to you. Where's your focal point at today? Is it on you or is it on Him? The altars are open. Come pray. Come figure it out. If you need help, you grab somebody on the way up. You grab me. We're here to help and support. We don't care what you've been or what you've done. Today's a different day. Today's the starting point. Yesterday doesn't matter. When you accept Christ today is the day that matters. And every day forward when you start living for the kingdom of God. The altars are open.